What up all you beautiful Misfits and Rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 172 of Misfits and Rejects. Today's episode, I sat down with Dan Andrews. Dan is the co-creator of the Tropical MBA podcast, as well as the co-founder of the Dynamite Circle. As you've heard me speak about in past episodes, I couldn't be more grateful to have found the Dynamite Circle. It's an international group of entrepreneurs who are just constantly meeting up around the world, helping each other with their businesses, the problems they're facing as entrepreneur as entrepreneurs on the road. It's just been such a game changer for me. You know, as they say, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And for me, being around these like-minded people has really shown me the path to becoming a successful entrepreneur, not just in the steps that you need to take to build a business, but just in the mindset, the motivation, the focus that a lot of these people I'm surrounded by have. It's just been such a wonderful group to stumble upon. And thank you, Dan and Ian, for creating it. Dan's seen it all himself. He sold three businesses of his own. He's written a book called Before the Exit, Thought Experiments for Entrepreneurs, where he talks about selling his first business, what it was like, and then the feelings he had about it after he had sold it. In fact, he offered offers you, the listener, a copy for free if you reach out to him at dan at tropicalmba.com. I highly recommend you do because he really gives a lot of insight. If you're somebody who's thinking about selling your business, you know, you definitely want to plan out what it could be like when you do sell it. You know, a lot of people don't realize how attached they are to their business and the process of running their business, just the, the process of being an entrepreneur. A lot of people don't realize how much they've fallen in love with it. And Dan talks a lot about that. He's a guy who really thinks about business, observe business patterns and people's behavior and relationships towards business. He's come up with ideas called lifestyle ladders, where he talks about how, how lifestyles don't scale vertically and how accumulating a certain amount of money from the sale of business, for example, doesn't necessarily always change your lifestyle in the way you think it might. And it's incremental, you know, going from somebody who makes $40,000 a year to $60,000 a year, your lifestyle doesn't change that much. But going from 60,000 to 150 can be a significant shift or going from, you know, making $250,000 a year to a million doesn't necessarily change a whole lot. But going from, you know, a million to 5 million can be a big shift. And he's really somebody who thinks in depth about these things and starts to see patterns amongst the people that are in the dynamite circle and just the other entrepreneurs that he talks to around the world and how there is a thread that commonly can connect all these different events that we experience as we walk this path as entrepreneurs from building our business to selling our business. It's a really great episode. I can't wait to dive into it with you. But again, please reach out to Dan, get his book before the exit thought experiments for entrepreneurs. Just email Dan at tropicalmba.com. He'll send you a free copy. I really want to thank you, Dan, for coming on, spending the hour with me, sharing your experience as an entrepreneur, your lifestyle as a location-independent person living in some really cool places around the world. You know, three months in Thailand, three months in Barcelona, three months in Austin, Texas, the other three months just playing around with family and friends. You've cultivated a lifestyle that is incredible, is inspirational, and one that I hope to have for myself in the near future. If you're a first-time listener, please hit that subscribe button. If you like this episode, we'd be honored if you share it with a friend. We thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy this episode. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Dan Andrews. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Dan Andrews, co-founder to the Tropical MBA and the Dynamite Circle. And I'm super happy to have him because I've stumbled into this group that I finally feel like since my Nicaragua experience, I fit in again. So thank you for creating this. You got it. Yeah, it's nice to have you, dude. Thank, thank you. you for your time. Yeah, this is wonderful. Yeah, it's um, cool because, again, you're a fellow podcaster, so you know the, uh, the work that goes into these things. A lot. You have sold businesses before mm -hmm. and now three and now you live kind of what i think a lot of us perceive as the life you know as a you're not really a digital man anymore are you because you kind of stay stationary uh, uh right now my routine is to revisit places i've always called it sort of uh the honeybee model it's all these or or there's 
there's digital nomading, there's honeybeeing, which is sort of like going to the same places at the same times. And then, you know, you toss in some new places here and there. And it's sort of like you go back to pollinate those communities, those people that you know there. Like you have a setup, you know, stuff that you do. Um, and then there's sort of like hub and spoke, which is like you have a home base and you go out to, you know, different locations, different times of year. And then you have like classic snowbirding, which is like, you know, you just avoid the winter. <laughs> so I think it's interesting to like figure out these patterns of how people end up doing it. But I, I was more of a traditional nomad previously, but now splitting my time between Barcelona, Chiang Mai and Austin, Texas. That's rad. And you're originally from the uh, Pennsylvania? I am. Yeah, but I haven't been there for, since I was 18. But we were talking earlier. I do spend a lot of time in Pennsylvania now just to be around my family. So the flexibility of the lifestyle, I've definitely you know used it to spend more time with, with the family. Yeah. I like the way your brain works and how you broke down all those different kind of travel models and how you can kind of compartmentalize them. I looked at your book prior to coming over here and you kind of did the same thing. Um, your book was called what? Um, before the exit. Before the exit. Correct? Available on Amazon for $3, everybody. 100%. That's, that's definitely <laughs> but if something. You email I, me, I will send it to you for free. I just want people to read it. You know, <laughs> I have this enormous ego. I just please read my ebook. <laughs> it seems interesting. I did want to touch upon one of the points that you make within it, which is the lifestyle ladder. Is that kind of what you alluded to with the, the travel models that you have when it comes to lifestyle ladders that like there is somebody who can buy whatever they want on a menu. There is somebody who can like travel only business class. There is somebody, can you talk more about the lifestyle ladder, what that means? Yeah. The idea of the lifestyle ladder is that, um, money in your personal bank account doesn't scale linearly with effectiveness or how it opens up new lifestyle potential for you. So the, so it starts when you're like in debt and then the next step of your ladder might be you're broke. And then the next step might be, say you have 20,000 bucks. The difference between zero and 20,000 bucks in that case is enormous. Like your life is completely different than if you're broke. But if I were to give you another 20,000 bucks and now you have 40, it doesn't change your life much at all, really. And it's going to be different for everybody. But the what I noticed is that, you know, business brokers buy and sell marketplaces. They know all this, right? They know that, um, you know, entrepreneurs will respond to certain numbers, but I don't think entrepreneurs are used to thinking about what those numbers might mean for them. And it's counterintuitive. Like if all of a sudden, you know, one of the points I make in the book is look for most people, the difference between a quarter million and a million isn't actually that much. So if someone's offering you a million bucks for your business, like think twice about it. Because again, if you follow the trend, you know, the next step after a quarter million bucks might be something like, uh, you become a wholesale investor, which I think happens around like 3 million bucks or 4 million, somewhere in that, or fuck you money, which for most people is like 10 million bucks or, you know, it's just a thought experiment. It's not like a, it's not a guideline or anything. It's just this observation that a lot of people have. And I cite, uh, Jason Cohen in the book from a smart bear, one of the smartest entrepreneurs I've ever met. And this was a fundamental insight of his, um, this idea. Yeah. That cash in your personal bank account, it's effectiveness doesn't, doesn't, uh, you know, go linear, go linear. That's right. Do you curate your life through thought experiments? I mean, uh, it seems like you give this a lot of thought and through, through your travels, through like how you entered and exited businesses. Like, is this how you create kind of like a model to live by? I don't know. I mean, I just think it's fascinating. Like I think I was telling you like this podcast, I love these people. I've always, these people, uh, so I'll tell you the the first pattern that I recognized, um, the first misfit and reject that I ever met. I traveled um, on a courier flight when I was 18, which if people probably don't remember, a courier flight was like you would pay 50 bucks for an international ticket and you would fly like legal documents or a human heart to a foreign country. And, you, and it would like sort of go through customs faster in your personal luggage than through the cargo luggage. So this was a whole industry. And it was a way that you could fly if you didn't have any money. And of course, I didn't have any money. So I show up to Mexico City the first time I've ever left the country. And I start hanging out at hostels. And this is like pre-internet, you know. And I met this older dude from San Francisco named Adam. And I remember he had like an Adam tattoo on his arm, like a picture of an Adam. And he showed it to me. He's like, get it, Adam? I was like, yeah, I get it. That's good. And uh, this guy, like this this trip to Mexico, I was like, Mexico City is amazing. Super underrated travel destination. But what I walked with was this vision of a free man. Like, here's this guy who can ostensibly like do what he wants with his time. And I had never met anybody like that. 
until I was 18 years old, I never met anybody that was totally free. And like Adam was my, like he was the initial germ. Like there are free people in this world. Um, I have this assumption about who they are. Maybe they're rich people. That was one like category of people. I thought maybe they're like Adam, but, uh, that, that was like sort of the beginning of this journey for me was, was traveling and seeing the lifestyles of the people on the road and the people like you're interviewing on the show is like, yeah, it's possible. Yeah, I can relate. I had the same exact feeling when I turned 18, went to Costa Rica. My buddy had already given it up all, like given it all up to move to Puerto Viejo. Yeah. And just to see his lifestyle and what he was doing, like intuitively, I knew this was my calling. However, it sounds like you, you went back, you went to college. I went back. I went to college. Yeah. And we, we didn't really break out, break free, if you will, for quite a few years after. Totally. I mean, you had a bit, you had a, a business based in San Diego, I believe at one point. That's right. Yeah. And you were living down there and you were I in the had grind. A real job and everything. Yeah. And then at what age did you finally like make your first exit, like officially and say like, I'm cutting all my ties with America. I have enough capital to do that for long periods of time. Well, I didn't have a lot of capital. I had a business and I had relationships in place and I had a skill set from my job. So I guess like one of the, I guess if back to this pattern making stuff, the strategy portion. First off, I'm really interested in, I've always been interested in philosophy and I've always brought that education to business. Um, the second thing is, is like, um, I was optimizing for business always through my travels. Like that was always priority. Number one was to grow a business on my terms. So that means like, I'm not going to cross any of my sort of ethical boundaries, but also I'm going to do it in a way that I have equity. Um, and so moving to cheap places, leveraging the local, uh, hiring infrastructure, having that spe spe special knowledge of, of different places. So at the time, you know, when I got started, if you wanted to be an entrepreneur, in my case, I had a manufacturing background. You just walk around all day long and say, is that made in China yet? That was like, that was sort of a, a way in a model in It's like, let's take something that's made in the first world and let's make it in the third. And then fast forward five years and it's like sort of 2006 era and like the knowledge stuff starts getting interesting. So it's like, whoa, are you like getting your SEO done overseas? Are you building your websites overseas? And so it was like getting a foothold in that opportunity that I felt was like something that I could uniquely bring to the table that I could, I mean, right away I was making a Western salary living in Asia because I could like snap up a consulting client just like that. Um, so I was seeking out these trends and driving them and then also um, by having that knowledge, I was able to retain an equity stake in my business relatively cheaply. Like it didn't cost me a lot, if that makes sense. It does. So, I have tons of questions about it though. So then what, <laughs> what took you to, I know. Okay. So, so, so I, I guess what I'm, I'm bringing this up is I'm trying to like make a distinction here because I, on the surface, it looks like I lived a dropout script, right? Like there's these life scripts and you're like, I want to, you know, I want to be, you know, we all see like this sort of scuba diver, uh, guy who's like, I'm really into scuba diving. I'm going to go be a scuba dive instructor. And like, I've spent so much time around those people because my life looks like a holiday on the surface. Like I've lived in Bali, I've lived in Vietnam, I've lived in Thailand, all that. But that wasn't the reality for me. Like the reality was I admired those people for what they were doing, but I was like, that's, that's not my path. Like I'm going to scuba dive because I'm going to have enough money to do it. And I'm going to have someone running my business. I'm not going to turn it into my job because I think that that's a problematic approach for a lot of people because I've seen how that sort of scales into a life over decades. And so for me, it was always like business first. Like I got to crack this code. I got to figure out the strategies and the patterns of people who are making money doing this stuff. And that's cool because it was like a little bit of mix of that, like old school Adam dropout script, like let's travel to all these unique weird places, but like, let's figure out the business significance of them. So when you were figuring out the business significance, were you contacting individuals who are already in the game that could teach you oh, yeah. the model? Yeah. Well, that's the best part about the lifestyle, right? I mean, I spent four years like with a backpack jumping on the next plane at, at the at, at drop of an email. Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I'll be there for four years. Yeah, I'll be there. And oh, you, you're starting like a BPO thing in like the South Philippines? Done. I'm there. I want to check it out. Like, let's sit down and do a podcast about it. Oh, you're, you know, like there was just so much stuff like this happening in the region and like sort of the 2008 to 2013 timeframe, like these pioneers, uh, offshoring the knowledge talent in their business. Um, yeah, it became, that's, that's, that was my beat. 
basically. <laughs> it sounds like there's a little bit an element, and maybe you were groomed this way by your family, in, in that you had sort of an intuition that was driving you or pushing you in these directions. And like me, for example, like I was blind to it. Like I didn't really start using a computer really until like 2010 ish. Like we didn't have internet in Nicaragua where I lived for like the yeah. first five years. I didn't have any interest in video games growing up really. Like it was just a thing that people use and I needed to communicate with my, my family, but you were navigating it in a way that you saw it as a tool that you could, leverage and make you know a good living with and i'm just wondering like who are you around like to well i'll tell you what happened is uh, i was really confused about all this stuff like the world when i got a job was a really depressing place i was so disappointed man i was you know i was like this is gonna be my life i'm gonna be like driving two hours a day i'm gonna be sitting in this office all day long writing emails you know like a machine um and I had it in like the back of my mind, like, well, I guess the only way out of this is to get rich. And then as I started to get paid more at my jobs, I realized that, Oh, maybe this isn't going to get me rich. Number one. And like, if I get paid more, it doesn't even get that much better. It's back to that lifestyle ladder of, you know, like going from 60,000 bucks a year to 120 basically just means a lot more stress and a lot more responsibility. You're not actually dropping a lot more to the bottom line as an employee. Um, and so it was even getting those higher salaries that made me realize like, Oh, this is a faulty path. Um, and so the turning point for me was meeting an entrepreneur, like a real entrepreneur. And all of a sudden I had a role model. I had like, I had a profession that, or a, or a know-how that pulled everything together, you know, like this kind of do it yourself, be your own person, sort of ethos, like providing value, not sort of being a rent seeker. Or I always thought business people were sort of lame because I felt like they were extracting value. And the entrepreneur taught me, no, like you build things that people love and you create more value in the world. Like this podcast, for example, like that's value. There might not be money behind that yet. People might not agree to like create a stock that we can all trade the value of it, but people can feel value. That's like the entrepreneur's job. And I thought I can feel value. Like this is something I can do. I can work hard. Like I want money. Like this is something I can get involved in. And yeah. So to answer your question, I think meeting an entrepreneur changed everything for me. Cause I was like, I want to be like that. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be around these people. And that's what my career has been about is like seeking out networks of entrepreneurs. Now I didn't want to be an entrepreneur like that guy at the end of the day, which is fine. Like nothing against him. I was like, I wanted to, I didn't like the business model. I didn't like the people I didn't, you know, so there's certain things I just, as I grew up, I started thinking now I'm starting to see who I am. You know, I want to be around great people every day. I want a great team. I want to have products. I don't want to provide services to clients because clients fucking suck. Sorry. Kind of say you can cuss. Yeah. Fuck, fuck shit. Cunt. I hate clients. I hate working with clients. Um, I hate the sense of entitlement they feel because they write you a big check. I, I hate the money motivation behind it. I like the idea of, finding something that is you feel is truly valuable in the world and you cultivate it and then you put it in front of people. And if they don't like it, it's no big deal. They don't have to like it. You know, you find the few people who do you charge them for it and that's a business. And, um, that's sort of how I started to proceed. You know, we built these products that we loved, um, which were what, which were modern cat furniture and a line of industrial products, including cocktail bars and valet parking equipment. My business partner is in the valet industry I like bars. So I was like, perfect, you know? And, uh, and we built these products. We thought they were the best in the world. So did our customers. And we ended up having 15 staff, an office. Um, we traveled as much as we wanted to more or less. It was a lot of responsibility. Um, so I wrote the book about selling that business in 2015 and the experience of it. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a long haul. I mean, it's like, we're talking about a decade here, sort of like condensed into a few sentences, but, um, it was the role model of seeing like, you know, I've compared in some ways entrepreneurship is a dropout script. Um, but it's, it's the one that I found that is most appealing because of the ultimate freedom that if you do it right, you can enjoy ultimate freedom and flexibility. That's really cool, man. Thank you for sharing that in depth. I appreciate it and can relate in so many ways and, and see myself following in your footsteps in some ways as well. The products that you first started with, you you had them manufactured in China? Yeah. 
all of them. And you were, were you flying over at the time or was yep. that when Alibaba had come out yet and you could just go online and find a manufacturer? Uh, no, that was pre Alibaba. We were pre WordPress. We were pre like anything being easy, which was a lot of the motivation for me to spend time in Vietnam and Philippines at the time, which is even just putting up an e-commerce shop was a headache, um, back then, but it also an enormous competitive advantage. So, you know, I think the internet has this promise that everything's going to be easy. Um, and I think that that's a, that's a, a dangerous promise to fall for. You know what I mean? Like, um, I always try to advise people against just like playing the internet, you know, like putting up a website and driving traffic to it and hoping it works out. It's like, get people on the phone, like get to know people, like identify the role models. Like if you have a competitor, get to know them, like figure out if they like their business, if they're making any money, like be friend, you know what I mean? Like dig in, like figure out what's going on out there. There's like never been an easier time in history to actually figure out like what the world looks like. You know, I went to the college based on a listing in a phone book. Like I didn't know anything about where I was going to college. Like there was no information, you know, now it's like you can call the person up and go get on a plane. And, uh, you went to Clemson just because you found it in the phone book? Yeah, and it was in somewhere warm. <laughs> I almost tried to go there because they had a decent soccer team. They did, yeah. yeah. I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Um, what was your next business? So, you know, we were, we're growing this e-commerce business. I'm do- selling SEO services to my ex-employer. Uh, so I have, like, client work, which is awesome because like I'm building a team for our business, but I'm then using the team to like sell some client work off of. So it's like this awesome parlay that allows us to hire staff sooner because I don't have to take a draw on my own company. And again, like, you know, I wrote this thing. The most popular thing I've ever written is called the thousand day principle. And it's, it's all about how basically you're going to be broke for three years of full-time effort. And I just see this pattern again and again and again. And I know what a lot of people are thinking is like, well, I can't afford to be broke for three years. And that's true. And that's why most people don't end up owning anything. And so, you know, for, for three years plus, like I'm making less money than I did before. I'm putting all the money back into hiring staff and employees because ultimately I want to own this thing that's valuable, not make money in the short term. And then it just started to pop, you know, like year two and three especially are a real grind for most entrepreneurs i find you know you get launched you get some traction it's fun two and three is tough and you're sort of like am i going to just do this forever and be broke you know i remember thinking that a lot back in 2009 and then we started getting some wins it started popping and all the while we're podcasting about it and meeting people we thought we were all alone you know people started coming together we started doing parties and that led to the second business which was the dynamite circle just a networking group for people that we thought were legit. You know, you went online at the time. Um, there was nobody that had a real business. It was everybody just selling marketing stuff and make money online stuff. And I was just like, there's gotta be like some real people out here. Right. (laughs) And that's what we always thought we were. We were just like the group that was like, no hype, like you're the real people and they all want to meet each other. And I remember our first meetup, there was 19 of us. It was like on a remote Island in the Philippines. And that's where you're based in the Philippines at this point. No, I was based in Bali at the point. I forget. Like we had a, a bunch of us that were living in this villa. We had like, we had to go on a visa run and we just put out this notice. Say like, look, uh, if you're like this, if you run a business like this, we want to see you. And in order to get there, like you had to be legit. Like no one with a job was touching that with a 10 foot pole. Right. It's like you have to spend a couple of days just to get there. And so the people that ended up on that deck sitting in a circle, <laughs> Um, were the inspiration for the thing. It's like, this is, this is awesome. Like these are real people. This is a real opportunity. And these aren't people that are just content to, you know, make a subsistence income or whatever. Like these are people with drive and ambition and we want to keep up with each other. And that's how the whole thing came about. Did you know every single one of them or was it literally kind of mostly randoms? Mostly randoms coming in. Yeah. There was like sort of six or seven of us at the core. And then the rest of the people came in through the podcast and the blog. Did you have like a hat in the middle where you all threw names in and the dynamite circle was the <laughs> one that popped out of the hat? We were sitting in a circle and I had a holding company at the time called Dynamite Publishing. And so I just put the two together. I didn't think about it too much. You know, I didn't think it was going to be a business. Right. Um, I, I thought the podcast had a lot of potential, you know, because um, I think we were the first podcast of physical goods entrepreneurs running like that style of business. It's sort of like you know, whatever you want to call it, like a mini multinational or, you know, it's this idea. Like if you describe these businesses to gen pop, it's like, 
oh, well, we have an incorporation in Hong Kong. We have an incorporation in California. We have three employees in Manila. We have two in a warehouse in Temecula. And our main, it's like, wait a second, is your revenue like $25 million a year? It's like, no, it's three. And uh, we started calling them mini multinationals. Just and, and now you see it happening at an individual level. It's like, well, my laptop's here, and like I have this service over here, and it's like that circle around like the company border just keeps getting smaller and smaller, and the internet's dissecting corporations and just turning them into these like little agile things. The idea, even that, at our production volume, we were producing like the amount of cocktail bars we were annually in China. You know, ten years previous would have been impossible. Like you would have had to have a bigger minimum order. Um, so just all those things were changing and we were like right in the middle of it, like talking about it on our microphones and it felt, it was a really exciting time. When did you just, um, when were you able to monetize the dynamite circle, like straight off the bat? Like did it become a membership model, like right off the bat or no, it took some time. I mean, I think, um, you know, it's like one of these things where you have to get like a lot of momentum and agreed upon value before you can charge. And that's really hard when it comes to like experiences, certainly with communities. So we were doing community stuff for at least a few years. Like we were doing mastermind calls. We were hosting parties, meetups. We were hosting a forum. And then once we had like a hundred really active members, that's when we put a paywall on it. That was like late 2011, early 2012. Hmm. So it's a tough business. I mean, I've basically seen handfuls and handfuls and handfuls of these things come and go, you know, over the years. So, I mean, I, it's a, and in some ways it doesn't behave like a business. Like running a community isn't the same thing as entrepreneurship necessarily. It's like sort of a weird side branch. Like if I really wanted to go to a mastermind, Chapin, I would, I would, uh, I would like want to sit down with the founders of like a church or like Alcoholics Anonymous or like a racetrack or, or like a country club. Cause it is like sort of a private community and you can't just like sell it the same way you would sell, um, a piece of cab furniture, for example. But you haven't sold the dynamite circle. I mean, that's still cold. no. I don't mean sold onwards. I mean like um, like oh, selling, selling that product, the idea. And running that product. Yeah, yeah. You've alluded to how special this is to the dynamite circle. This group of people that you encounter, the podcast that you have, and it sounds like in a lot of ways you're kind of at the forefront of a movement that you know a lot. Not a lot of people will ever get to say they were at the forefront of. I feel it for me in Nicaragua. Like I was right there before it popped. When it comes to like surf travel. So I had that moment on a beach with three other friends of mine, like the only gringos on the beach, nobody around, surfing empty waves all day, partying. A few chicks would come every now and again. <laughs> and you're just like, this is magical. This is so special. Totally. And now, 10 years later, looking back, like I knew what I had and it was special. And like, do you find yourself still in the mix, like still looking around being like, this is epic or has it lost a little bit of that initial sort of like spark? My first thought when you said that was like, well, we're getting old. Now we can like look back and see trends and generations (laughs) and stuff. I do remember that sharing that emotion with you. Like I remember there was something about travel in the late 2000s pre-social media that was just different. Sorry, young people. It was different because there was this impulse that everybody had was like, we got to upload this to the web. Right. We, I just went to like Hoi An, Vietnam. It's ridiculous. I got to like put my photos in a, I have to like write about my experience so that the whole world can see like what this is about. And you were sort of trying to find that content yourself. You know, it wasn't like everybody's just on Facebook or Instagram all day long, searching the hashtag and seeing it all laid out and TripAdvisor's got it. And, um, particularly in the entrepreneurial space, like I remember, you know, sitting in these cafes with a handful of like maybe tourists and then there was like the retired people and then there was maybe like the few dropout people uh, and then there was, you know, all the locals and you're just sitting on your laptop like, holy shit, I'm doing this. Like I'm, I'm, I'm running a business from this rice field. It's just crazy. I can do this. You know, did you ever think that the uh, internet cafe would die? <laughs> the death of the internet cafe. I really worked out some internet cafes in Asia, man. I knew the staff. I was just in there all the time. I mean, no, I don't know. That's uh, like a generation won't understand what that means. You know, there's the generation coming, like they don't know what internet cafe really means to like somebody <laughs> who traveled back in the day, totally. you know? And like, I like the fourth computer from the right at the internet cafe in Rivas, Tola, Nicaragua was like the best computer at the fastest for whatever reason. And I was always like waiting for that computer to get up because I had a lot of emails to do. 
There's some, there was something magical about that feeling of utter disconnect, you know, of sitting in that internet cafe and plugging into the mainframe for a small portion of the day or whatever. And then you're out, you're back out. Um, that, yeah, it was just magical and absolutely unforgettable. It just felt like a total gift given that I had come from this background of, you know, really tough, stressful work weeks. Things maybe didn't get all that much less stressful. I think that's more of a mindset thing, but, um, all of a sudden, like the freedoms that were laid in front of me felt like a thing. It still feels like a thing, man. I mean, it seems like there's a still enormous amount to be excited about. I mean, the thing, I think the fundamental thing, um, that this lifestyle excites me for is, is the idea that you can build wealth and do it on your own terms and you can do it from where you want it and you can do it how you want it. You can like choose your customers, choose your model, choose your strategy, choose your location, all that. And it wouldn't have been good enough for me if it was just like one of the models I have in my head is called rice and fish heads, which is I used to hang out with my buddy who has ended up making millions for himself. And we, we both were at zero when we met and He's like, you know, the thing about me is like, I'm just not going home. Like I'm happy on rice and fish heads. Like I don't need anything. Now I think that's an amazing mindset because you need to be broke for a long time if you want to be wealthy. But if it's, you're set up to just be in the rice head, rice and fish heads thing indefinitely for me personally, that's an enormous problem and I'm not okay with that. And so that's why for me, it wouldn't have been good enough to just like kind of live this perpetual backpack lifestyle because I think I'm starting to see this as I get older at some point, like the cows do come home and like, like, like people do get sick and responsibilities do come up and you have a choice to make. Like, do you want to be the person that can take care of that situation and be a leader and like be there for your family and take care of them and all those things, or even have a choice to grow one yourself or all those kinds of considerations. Or do you want to be the person who's like committed to the rice and fish heads? And so for me, uh, that's sort of like the distinction that I feel like, you know, reducing your expenses, all that is, is, is part of the game of being an entrepreneur, but, and increasing your knowledge, obviously you're, you're putting yourself in situations where you have mentors and you have access to information. Maybe you're a course buyer. Do you buy courses to educate yourself on certain things you don't understand? Typically not. Um, I think most of them are bullshit. I think most people teaching things online are bullshit too. Like the vast majority. Why do you say that? Um, because people that, no really important stuff don't tend to teach it or sell it and because it well they lose the the edge is that why they don't teach or sell it because then they have a pool of people that can mimic them and copy them um hmm it's a really big topic i'm i know i'm like firing shots over the bow here uh if the knowledge was that valuable then they'd be making money out of the knowledge so a lot of times, like the difference between knowledge and know-how is enormous. So what happens is um, those who cannot do teach tends to show up again and again, that cliche, like there's something to it. Like if you knew how to make money with SEO, then you'd be making money with SEO. But if you knew how to grow a business and you'd be growing one, you wouldn't be teaching people how to grow a business. I agree 100% and can relate. And in, in my when I was seeking out this group, you guys, um, I had people coming through Nicaragua and I kind of like heard this whisper of digital nomads making money online and had a, a couple be like, I can teach you how to be a digital nomad. And I was like, all right, well, how much you make? And they're like, oh, we can't tell you that. And they actually said it would be illegal if they told me. <laughs> and I was like, come on, dude. And that's how I found Chris Reynolds. I Googled, you know, you know uh, digital nomads making a hundred thousand dollars or more a year and no his way. podcast pound up, uh, came up. That's awesome. But, um, I agree with you to that extent. However, like with a service that I have of teaching surfing online, you know, mm -hmm. like, and you're right. Like those who can't do teach, like I'm one of those people, like I was never a good surfer, but because of that, I had to inject myself into really trying to understand body mechanics and things that now with the understanding that I have, I can help people improve on their surfing. Well, you know, I think that you're, there's a lot, I realize it's like a very, see the thing about that is like, it's falsifiable. You know, it's like if, if this, so I feel too that sometimes I feel like I can uh, teach like the golfing information <laughs> or, or cycling, for example, I can teach that better than the professionals because the professionals don't meet the students where they are. And because I'm a worse cyclist, I can explain it 
better to people who are new to the game. So I, 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 I'm not trying to take away the value of that stuff. When it comes to like these big, I think the vaguer it gets, the more concerned I get and the more predatory the industries get. So typically like if you have someone teaching something very specific, like, Hey, I've like ranked 25 sites, number one in Google. Like if you pay me 500 bucks, I'll teach you how to do the same thing. That's like typically going to be a much better bet than someone who's teaching you how to like grow a million dollar business or someone who's teaching you how to live a good life or something like that. So I think the more general it gets, like the more, the the more better their marketing sales has to be. And so all of a sudden you're seeing the claims. um, And I'm just, I'm just uh, skeptical of it. That's all. So no, I don't buy courses. that, That was like sort of the, uh, I buy a ton of books. I feel like, so, oh, audiobooks you, or you, you read or like you sit both, down and okay. both. So, uh, you know, I used to like read books on my lunch break in my office. I think books are just an enormous, you know, pathway to getting ahead in life basically. And so I was pipelining these things. And one of the biggest critiques of the digital nomad lifestyle is one of its biggest strengths, which is people always say, Oh, all these digital nomads, they go to a foreign location and they don't even meet. They don't even go to the local attractions or know anything about the place. All they do is sit in a cafe all day long and stare at their laptop. Yes. Yes. That's the whole idea. The whole idea is to say, I want to get ahead in life. I'm not going to mortgage this opportunity so I can go to some freaking waterfalls every day. Like I am trying to build a business. So I'm going to GTFO. I'm not going to go to any of these birthday parties or weird. I'm not going to sit on the highway and go to work. I'm not going to need that much money. I'm going to stare at this freaking laptop for two or three, four years, and I'm going to make something in my life. And that's what it takes. That's just what it takes. So I think it's cool. I, I it's agree. What's your day to day look like right now? <laughs> a day, a day in the life of Dan Andrews. What does it look like? Um, so typically I'm doing, you know, some, some, you know, well, typically I'm doing some kind of sporting activity that is, so today I'll give you an example. I woke up, I did 20 minutes of like check in with team. Is everything going good? I went golfing with Bitcoin investors. So it was a really interesting conversation. I came back, wrote a few emails and now you're here. And now tonight I'll, you know, go to the driving range, go out to dinner with friends, whatever. So, and that's kind of normal daily routine at this point. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I would say like uh, the ideal workday would be four hard hours in the office. And that's typically what we're doing in Austin, Texas with Ian, my business partner is like, we show up to the office at 11 and we leave at four and we're trying to like get a lot of shit done in that, you know, four or five hours in the office. And then the rest of the days for family, for sports, for fun. I mean, and again, that's the advantage of like leveraging the dropout lifestyle into entrepreneurship because First thing about entrepreneurship, if you look at it, it's a know-how. It's like a lot of the best entrepreneurs, they can't actually explain why they're good at it. Like It's up to you to like dice it up and to observe it and to figure out what your version is going to be. But know-how is like riding a bike. Like I can't say, like put your right foot down. I can say some of that stuff, but it's also, it has to be in you at the end of the day. It's a practice. And so if you can spend that you know, few years off the grid, spend it with the legit people, not with the bullshit people. And pipeline the information and I forget why I brought up the point, but it's just this, I, I love that idea of leveraging this freedom lifestyle to then invest in the skill set that is really hard to learn. Are you building anything new like business wise? Yeah. So I'm trying to currently like the strategy is to find value streams inside the community that would work as standalone businesses. And so one of the, you know, one of the, Running Dynamite Circle is amazing. Like, I love it. It's like, if I could choose one thing, that's what I'm going to do that in the podcast. But it can be frustrating in that it's, it's not a scalable business, right? The best way to scale DC might be to like turn it into a nonprofit and make it sort of global hotspot, global community chapters or whatever. And it's just like, okay, I could do that. But I kind of miss having like a business, right? That you can just like run PPC ads and like, you know, go to conferences and hustle the thing up. So, I've noticed that over the years, a lot of the most successful members, they've like used the, the community as like a canary in the coal mine. Cause these are early adopters. Like people, if you like search for like Bitcoin in the forum, like the first time someone brought it up in the forum, had you bought it? I mean, you'd be in really good shape right now. And so, you know, take Travis Jameson as an example. He noticed that a lot of members were making money on Amazon. And so he started to like pull some things together. And then he kind of, it's like, man, if I can get this kind of adoption in this community, 
then like there's like 10 X that kind of value outside of it. Cause once you show up to the DC, like, you know what you've been through, right? Like you've already been to the beach and you've been to the bullshit. And by the time you show up at one of our events, like you're legit, right? Like it's just so hard to figure out that they're even happening. Um, but the idea is that, well, there's a lot more people that actually just are having an Amazon site and that could use this stuff. So the idea then being, if you find a value stream amongst early adopters, if you can make it publicly consumable, then there could be some traction there. So the first two experiments we've run are our dynamite jobs board, which used to be a problem actually, like people coming to our events, like using them, trying to like, they wanted to bring their employees. They want to like hire some people there. It was just became these hiring fairs because everybody had so many like minds in the room or they were on culture. So everybody benefits if that's public because now more people are going to see your job ads, stuff like that. The second thing is this thing called dynamite deals which came from the DC offers. Your audience is probably falling asleep right now, dude. No way. <laughs> the second thing is called uh, DC offers. DC offers have like long been both this great thing in the community, but also a, like a shitty thing. Cause you know, it's very tempting. You get in a community like that with a lot of wealthy people that buy shit all the time for their business to basically pimp your shit. And so we had this category that, you know, over the years people made millions off of it. And I thought, well, wouldn't people benefit if we just made it public? Cause now like 20,000 people can see the deal instead of just 1000. And so that's what I've been working on the past few months is like figuring out ways to bring deals on productized services that specifically focus on like growing businesses. Cause these things like turn over fast too. So it's like the SEO link building service that works in like 2017 might not be of interest in 2019. So it's not like, just like a basic Groupon, like here's a deal on something we all use anyway. It's more like trying to seek out these like growth services. It's been challenging, but that's another example. We actually did 67 grand in our first three deals. So I'm like, oh, that could be something. Um, and I think, you know, uh, it's, it could be a, an all around win-win for the community and for the service providers themselves to like, you know, one of the things that people have leveraged DC offers in the past is like uh, WP engine or WP curve was an example, like Dan Norris, uh, the founder of WP Curve was working on a, a bunch of different projects at the time, like software stuff, and it wasn't going well. And he was like sort of a week away from having to get a job, and he went into the forum, DC Offers category, and he's like, hey, would you guys pay me like 50 bucks a month to like do unlimited WordPress fixes or whatever? And everyone's like, bam, 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 yes, 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 yes. And so I think we can do the same sort of thing potentially in the future with Dynamite Deals, which is you got someone with expertise and a service business, but like, let's productize that thing and like put an offer in front of people and see if we can jumpstart things. That's cool, man. I appreciate it. Um, I like being a part of that stuff. What about, I know you went, not to bring up a sore subject, but you're going through a big uh, branding transition with the Tropical MBA. Yeah. Listen to that episode. How's that going? What's that all about? Well, I mean, I guess the, the issue with Tropical MBA is that, you know, over the years, as our audience has grown, I think we've had a lot of like, influential and passionate listeners. I would even say like things start, started to go like a little bit more highbrow. It's like, Oh my God, like Derek Sivers does want to speak at our event and he's proud to wear his like DC bracelet and all that. And over the years, it just felt like tropical MBA did feel like one of those like digital nomad get rich quick schemes. And I've noticed that especially, you know, in polite or highbrow company, people are, a little bit um, muted about maybe their love for the brand, right? Um, people, especially with something to lose. So in high stakes scenarios, if like you're going to get quoted in, you know, Forbes or the New York Times or something, you might not say, oh, I just love the Tropical NBA podcast. And so, whereas when you look at like the average fan, they don't seem to care one way or the other. So I've always thought it in the back of my mind that if we changed it, it just would be a good thing overall. But as you know, it's like hard to do that kind of stuff. We can, it's hard to find a good name. We kind of got one that was okay. And then like, it looks like it's trademarked. And so now I think we got another one. So it's just like, it's a, it's a big project and it's not clear like how much value that's creating for anybody. <laughs> so it just keeps kind of getting shoved to the side of the desk. I and Tropical MBA is working just fine. It's just, yeah. I, I just feel like, uh, you know, it's, it's doesn't really represent like what we do anymore. It's not about being a digital nomad in Southeast Asia. It never really was about that. I mean, the main storyline on the show is always my business partner has been based in America the whole time. So that was just like, that was just the domain I bought at the time because I was running internships for people that wanted to live that lifestyle. So again, leveraging it. So I was like, dude, 
for these developers that I'm paying in Manila, like these guys from America are willing to work for that. So now I'm living with a bunch of interns in Bali, which started the, so again, like I'm always thinking like, well, how can we use this to a business advantage? So, you know, we got six people working on our marketing team and our competitors hired some agency to put up a cheap website. So we're crushing, you know, we're number one on Google. Like we have an actual e-commerce store, all this kind of stuff that none of our competition had because I was leveraging, you know, the whole digital nomad thing to basically grow our business faster. And then you uh, just change topic a little bit with the the lifestyle and living here primarily. I mean, do you spend equal amounts of time Chiang Mai, uh, Barcelona, and uh, Austin? Yeah. yeah, about so like three, six, nine with some like trips in between. Yeah, it's funny though. I was it made me think of this. Uh, one of the patterns is the nine and three. Mm. I feel like this is a very common one, which is like have a home base for. Because here's what I think: having a home base is amazing. Living a life of as a perpetual traveler is equally amazing. They're both really expensive. So it's typically the case that you have to choose one or the other. Um, and you know, I think the end goal is to be able to have access to both. And so then the question becomes when you do, when you can both afford a home base and, um, travel whenever you want, like how do you arrange your life? And the most, most common thing I see is a nine and three. I see people choosing to go elsewhere for three months out of the year and then maintaining that home base for nine months. Cause I think one of the things that like, you know, I'm Mr. Dropout script. I love, I used to say, I'll never go home all this kind of stuff. But I think sometimes we like throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like there's an enormous value in community and like longstanding ties, but also in career, like just a sense of something to do. Like at the end of the day, um, you know, those first few years on the beach, you're staring out at the ocean and you're looking at the sunset, you're thinking, this shit is ridiculous, right? Like the fourth and fifth year, you're kind of like, all right, that's the sunset. Like, what am I doing with my life? And like someone got sick and kind of running out of stuff to do. And so I think like, you know, having communities that you're like deeper into can be an enormous asset as well. Absolutely. What's one thing you'd like the audience to know about you, understand about you, understand about the dynamite circle, tropical MBA that maybe hasn't been conveyed? I think one thing I would encourage the audience to do is, you know, I would like to negate my entire interview because this idea that like I can accurately speak about my life or that this information is real, I don't think is I don't really understand how the world works exactly, but now we're, we live in this world where there's all this like information everywhere. And so it's like, how do I do this? And you'd like type it in and it comes up. And so much of that in the business space is just wrong. It's untrue. Like those people, they don't quite understand. Like Dan's not quite telling a story, right? Or he didn't know what happens. He was just there when something happened and now he takes credit for it and tells a story about it. And, and so it's really easy to quit a job or quit a life where we're just so used to like one, two comes after one and three comes after two. And I see this with a lot of younger staff members that come out and work for me. Like they're still looking for the rules, you know, they're still looking for the guide, how to do it. And entrepreneurship's not that skill. It's something different. It's about defining something new in the universe, like believing and in its value or creating its value and cultivating it. And that's that, like just that line of, I hesitate to use word vision, but you can find it in so many ways. You can find it in like truly understanding something and doing things of value. You can find it through self-belief. There's a lot of different ways to get there, but um, that's what I'd like the audience to understand is like everybody has access to that, like doing something unique in the world and owning it and you can own it. And that's, that's entrepreneurship. That's what I'm all about. That's rad. And then earlier in the conversation, you said anybody who wants to get your book, you give it to them for free. Oh yeah. You exit. Oh, I'll pay them to read it. <laughs> how, how can they get a hold the, of you? Or? Here's what, here's my sales pitch for this book. I okay. wrote this book two years ago. The conversations I've been having from it, if here's the argument for writing a book, the kinds of conversations that you have with people are outstanding. Um, this is like a legit book. It, it wasn't a book I wrote to sort of be a pipeline into something or a vanity project. It was like, I sold my business. I was freaking depressed about it. Why? That's weird. So I started talking to people. It turns out 50% of people who sell a business get depressed. It turns out this is pretty obvious, but you know, I'm dumb. I got to go through this stuff to figure it out. And so I, I write a book, basically this idea of even if you're thinking about starting a business someday, like considering its role in your life, um, I think is awesome or is, is critical. So 
the book is basically these five thought experiments, the lifestyle ladder being one and like defining those levels of wealth and like what you're really aiming for. Like it's weird. Like I thought I was a money guy. I'm a business guy. I think about this stuff every day, but I didn't even think about like hypothetically speaking, what the money would do. Like I give you 2 million bucks right now. Like what do you do? That's like a absolutely worthwhile consideration. Um, so th- those are the sorts of thought experiments that, that I run through in the book. So my pitch is like, it's actually a cool book. It's not just a, you know, it's, 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 it's I think, I think it's truly a useful book. That's my pitch. And they can find you at your email. They get that from you or yeah, how- Dan at tropical Perfect brother. Dan, I want to read your book. I'll be like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. We appreciate your time. Dave and I appreciate it, brother. That was great. <laughs> awesome. Dan. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time and folks, please reach out to Dan, Dan at tropical He'll send you a free copy of his book before the exit thought experiments for entrepreneurs. What a cool episode. It really touched me in so many ways. I could relate to so many things he said and was so hopeful after hearing his episode again through the editing process of, you know, that I can get there, that I can persevere that even though I'm shutting down, you know, my first online business right now, surf progression techniques, it's not the end of my entrepreneurial journey. There's many more to come. And even though this first business didn't work out in the way I'd hoped, you know, the other ventures and all the knowledge that I've accumulated from my first attempt and from this beautiful group, the dynamite circle is definitely going to propel me to success in the future. So I couldn't be happier and more thankful for stumbling into the dynamite circle and meeting Dan Andrews and Ian. Thank you so much for your time and all you listeners out there. Thank you for joining me every week. I appreciate your love and support. You know, I think you all are so very beautiful. I hope you are as inspired by this episode as I am and all the episodes that have come before it. I have a lot more coming, so stay tuned and I'll see you next week. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.